rather than forcing ourselves to do things or be productive or go to that social engagement. It's also being able to say no when you need to and allowing yourself that space to just realign, recharge and start over tomorrow. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is gonna talk about her international moves and shift from working in the PR world to co-founding an organization focused on helping people navigate change. We'll talk about how your cultural upbringing can affect your career choices and the importance of creating boundaries between your work and the rest of your life. Afterwards, during today's mental fuel segment, I'll share a couple ways I maintain my own work-life balance. Hello and welcome. Now, before we get started with today's interview, first of all, I want to thank you for being a subscriber to my show. And since you're one of my subscribers, I wanted to give you a little insider information about a free event I have coming up that you might be interested in attending if you want to learn more about how to relaunch your own career. On the evening of Wednesday, the 12th of April, I'm going to be giving a talk at the General Assembly office in London. And if you're not familiar with General Assembly, they're a global organization with offices all over the world, and they help professionals gain skills to navigate career transitions and pursue careers they love. So they host courses and events on coding, design, marketing, and career development. They've invited me to give a talk on career change. So on April 12th, I'll be giving a talk called Managing the Emotions of Changing Careers. And I'll be talking through how to spot the signs of career dissatisfaction, the seven stages of career change, and how to overcome the common barriers to making a change. Now, most of the time, the talks and workshops I give are private engagements for clients. So it's not very often my talks are open to the public. And this one's also free. So if you're in London, and that's London, England, not London, Ontario, as I know we've got some listeners in Canada. So if you're in London, England on Wednesday, April the 12th, and you want to come by to listen to the talk, network with a few other career changers, or come by to just chat with me afterwards, I'd love to see you there. I really enjoy connecting with listeners, which I don't often have a chance to do face-to-face because this is an audio podcast, and so I would love for you to come. Now, if you want to come, you can register for free at careerrelaunch.net slash April 2017. And that'll take you to the General Assembly registration page. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash April 2017. You can also go to my Facebook page at facebook.com slash careerrelaunch, where you can find the event details there with the registration link. Okay, so on to our interview today. My guest on today's show is Salonia Tedros, co-founder of The Change School, which is a holistic lifestyle and learning organization that creates experiential events and retreats for anyone at a crossroads or pivotal life stage. Salonia's life work is driven by the potential of individuals, organizations, and societies to change. Her vision for the world is one where everyone has the courage, confidence, and commitment to realize their potential for greatness. 
Now, Salonia has a very multicultural background and is going to share a lot of interesting insights informed by her unique personal and professional experiences that span multiple continents. She spoke with me from Singapore. Okay, well, hello, Salonia, and great to have you here on Career Relaunch. Now, I just got done watching your TEDx talk, and there are a lot of things I would love to ask you about related to the change school and, and global citizenship and growing up in a multicultural family. You've got such an interesting background, but I'd like to just start by talking about your career and was wondering if you could just kick us off by telling us what you're focused on right now in your life. It's quite an interesting time right now. I think both personally and in terms of the work I do, it's a bit of a transition period. And so a little bit about what I do is I'm a co-founder of The Change School. And at The Change School, we really just help individuals to align their personal values and their life choices. That sort of resonates with me on a personal level as well. Right now, and probably always, the focus is really on living and working authentically and practicing what we preach in our personal lives, but also using our personal experience to enable others who are struggling with a change or some type of transition. You mentioned a transition in the work you're doing and also your personal life. Would you mind just giving us a glimpse into what sort of transition you're wrestling with right now? The Change School is in a transition right now for a couple reasons. One is we've done a bit of a pivot at the start of this year, and we've decided to focus more on how we can add value to individuals as well as companies, but really focusing more on individuals because we see that at the end of the day, you know, making a change is very much a personal choice. And by working with individuals, we're able to make that impact faster and enable them to go further. My co-founder, Grace, is now a, a new mom a beautiful baby girl who's one month old. That's an example of a life stage shift that can happen and obviously has an impact on various aspects of Grace's life and our business. And really going through that journey, I think, is also allowing us to better understand the types of challenges and opportunities that come up when you are shifting through life stages. And what that means for me in the business is that, you know, we're growing and we're growing our team and I'm learning to manage a team as opposed to just being a co-founder doing everything. It's about learning to say no to certain opportunities and learning to say yes to the right ones. And also just keeping up with a growing demand in, in Singapore, which was perhaps a slower market at first for us. But now I think they're sort of catching up with the importance of being able to embrace and navigate through change. So we're excited about that. Very cool. Now, I know that you are not always living in Singapore and you weren't always <laughs> the founder of the Change School. So I would love to just go back and go through some of your life transitions. Can you take me back to your time in Boston? And oh, wow. if you could tell me <laughs> if you could tell me a little bit about what you were working on at the time professionally, what was going on in your life, and then we'll try to understand how you got to where you are right now. In Boston, you know, that's where I went to school. So I went to Boston University. I studied international relations, which I think, you know, I kind of kid about this. And I say that sometimes that's a subject for people who don't really know what they want to do. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but I did know that I was interested and always curious about the world and the dynamics of different cultures and politics and economies. And so that's sort of why I studied that. And from there, I 
really felt quite passionate about research and academia. And so my first role coming out of school was working in global health research at mm-hmm. Harvard University, which was obviously not related at all to what I studied. But I think research was something I realized I was really good at and really enjoyed doing. In hindsight, I always say, I guess I'm a bit of a serial career shifter. Uh-huh. Join the <laughs> I club. sort of yeah. around <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> from one job to the next in search of purpose or meaning or even just trying to figure out what it was that drives me and that I really thrive in. So after a few years in the academic world, it was really my excitement about New York, which was only four hours away. And, you know, I used to take weekend trips away and come back and kind of feel like, God, I really love the pulse and energy of that city. And I just wanted to be there. And at that time, a lot of the advice I was getting from career counselors or or personal mentors, because I'm half Chinese and I speak Mandarin, everyone was always saying, you've got to use your language. That's such a high demand skill. Find a job that lets you use your language. And mm-hmm. being in such a hurry to move to New York, I decided to take the first opportunity I could that allowed me to use my Mandarin. And that was in a product sourcing and supply chain management company. And they were really excited to have me. And I was always open to trying new things. What was that transition like for you to go from academia into more of the product world? It was definitely a big shift and I it was a huge learning curve. Again, in hindsight, although I didn't feel it at the time, I, I was always really good, I think, at communicating my strengths and demonstrating to a potential employer that while I'm very cognizant of the things I don't know, I'm a fast learner, always curious about learning new things. And I always ask questions if I'm stuck and, and you know, I'm passionate about learning and growing. That really went a far way throughout my life, I think, even though I was always hopping jobs. I think being able to have that narrative and having that self-awareness and being able to convey that always allowed me actually to hop around in different industries and sectors. So while I was in that job, you know, I did get to use my language and and I did gain a lot of business and project management experience, which was great. However, to be really honest, I was using my Mandarin to come down hard or or yell at factories in Shenzhen and Hong Kong. And (laughs) that wasn't quite how I envisioned adding value with my cultural fluency or even language fluency. And so Eventually, I decided once again to hop from there. And actually, one of my clients, while I was in that role, asked me to work for him on a freelance basis. And he was a Fortune magazine photographer. He needed a communications manager. Before I knew it, I was working with photojournalists and editors and at Time magazine and Fortune magazine. And and again, I learned a lot and I gained a whole new set of skills skills. And and that was a really rewarding experience. The turning point sort of came when the financial crisis hit Wall Street, which was 2008. The publishing industry was taking a hit. Photography as an industry was taking a hit. And at that time, I felt very fortunate that because I have a connection to Asia and had gone to school in Singapore at one period in my life, I had an opportunity to move back to Asia where things were really booming and moving and there was a lot of opportunity. Can you walk us through your thought process in transplanting your life from the US over to Singapore? Because that sounds like quite a leap to completely relocate yourself. How did you go about doing that? 
on the one hand, I felt like I was going back home. On the other hand, I probably underestimated what later became quite a period of reverse culture shock, uh-huh. coming back to a place that you feel is home only to realize that you still have a lot to learn. There's a lot of things you don't know and that a lot can change over eight years. So I did take some time to travel around Asia when I first moved back just to sort of reorient myself. What surprised you the most in going back there? At that time, I got engaged. And during that sort of one, two year period, I was getting ready to get married. And and my husband, who's Indian, he comes from a traditional Indian family. And so I think in addition to underestimating the reverse culture shock, there was also an adjustment I had to make to being so closely tied to a very different culture that, that I wasn't familiar with and I was learning about as I was getting immersed into it. Another layer on top of that was sort of a bit of an identity shift and crisis in that, you know, you're going from an independent, free spirit, job hopping <laughs> lifestyle to right to one that really makes you question, you know, who do you want to be as a daughter-in-law? Who do you want to be as a wife? Who do you want to be with in your relationship? And because I see ourselves as such a, a holistic sort of pie of so many realms, right? I don't really look at professional life as one realm and then relationship as one realm. They all kind of mold into each other at some point. So I think that was a very trying and challenging period for me in all ways. And then on the career front, coming to Asia, really the big question was, okay, who am I going to be and what value am I going to create here? Mm -hmm. And that took a lot of time for me to work out. You had just come from the PR world. Did that cross your mind in, in terms of just continuing on the track that you were on before? It definitely did. And I think, you know, one thing I was quite aware of being in Asia is that unlike a place, a city like New York, for example, where I think there's so much room to create alternative career paths and less conventional jobs, I was pretty conscious that in Asia, there wasn't necessarily all that flexibility. And so I think to save myself too much stress and uncertainty, I sort of immediately wanted to jump into a PR agency because there were a lot um, in Hong Kong and Singapore, which were the two cities I was really focusing on in the beginning. And so I did actually, when I came to Singapore, I did end up in a big corporate PR agency Okay, so you're at the PR firm and you're back into the world that you were once in. Can you take us through the next transition as you moved away from the PR world? People who come from agency would know, you know, it is very fast paced. Yeah. And it can be really long hours and really stressful. And I think, you know, I'm not one to ever shy away from hard work, but I think the only way for that to work well is when you have a supportive company culture, colleagues, mentors, and just a sense of happiness and wellness in whatever role you do. And I think at some point, the long hours and the fact that, you know, our company culture at the time was not necessarily as supportive as I would have liked. In fact, it was a bit competitive. It was quite at times even toxic. And I think the first red signal for me was the impact it was having on my overall happiness because I I like I mean, you know, I pride myself in being quite a positive and generally upbeat person Mm -hmm. and my physical health. I was losing energy. I was tired. I wasn't feeling valued or appreciated. And so over a longer time, 
the role itself just became a job and it stopped holding much greater meaning or purpose for me. And then, as I said earlier, I was also going through such a shift in my personal life. And all of this was kind of building up and forcing me to really ask myself, you know, what do I want my life to look like? And what is my definition of work-life balance? And what is my definition of meaningful work? After about two years, when I really started asking myself these questions and more clearly defining my boxes that needed to be ticked, I realized that fewer and fewer boxes were getting ticked and it was time to move on. I see. Now, I know a lot of people go through this experience, Salonia, of feeling like they've kind of had it with work and it's not really doing it for them anymore. And they want to get more clarity about what they want to do. But that's where they get stuck. They can't get past that stage. Could you take us through some of the things that you did to gain that clarity that instilled you with enough confidence that it was time to leave and pursue something else? One of the biggest ones was expectations, other people's expectations and societal expectations. And being that I was living in Asia and and half my family is Asian, I think a big fear was, okay, facing the music, right? What am I going to tell my mom? What am I going to tell my grandparents? And what are they going to say when I'm giving up a steady paycheck and, and a job with a great company and no real idea of what's next. That was something scary. Um, obviously, practical concerns were also scary, right? Like, how am I going to afford not working and for how long? And will I have to have a side hustle? And if so, will that distract me from finding my next thing? And, you know, I think also growing up where most of us are taught that, you know, you don't leave a job. If you have to leave a job, you don't leave unless you know you have another job lined up, right? Right, right. Um, And I didn't have that either. So (laughs) I definitely (laughs) spent a few months sitting in the agency still trying to just figure out if I was crazy or if I was thinking about the right move for myself. And I think a few things helped. One is I did really carve out the time and space to spend time and sit down and talk to my mom and also my husband about what I was feeling, what I was thinking, and really trying to make them my allies and to have their support. And I think for me, it was also knowing that, you know, my mom and my husband's opinions really mattered the most to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that was good because, you know, you can't please everyone. And it's actually, it's not up to everyone to approve or support your decision. I think you need to know who your allies are and leverage that support to prop yourself up and forward. But you also have to be able to just shut out the noise and and know that it's not forever. So there was a period where I was a bit probably more insular and not sharing everything with as many people because I needed to be okay with my transition first. I needed to feel like it's okay. I needed to accept it because I knew that once I did, that would come through in my interactions and sharings with anybody. Um, Mm -hmm. So I did take some time to myself. And the other big thing I did during that time was And this did take a lot of work. It wasn't something that just happened overnight. I think it took me about three months. I traveled and I spent some time kind of looking back at my own career path and journey and really tried to find a common denominator across all these jobs and experiences that I had. And within each of them, ask myself, okay, what did I love about that? Or what was I really great at? Or what were people praising me about for that? 
And eventually I identified that common denominator as really, I felt that I was a strong communicator. I felt that I could be persuasive in helping people to feel that they can tackle problems, that they can overcome challenges that they see. And because I guess I'm a natural problem solver, I was always quick to to offer help or offer solutions or offer guidance to companies or individuals around how they can sort of get around challenges that they were seeing and reframe challenges as opportunities. So mm-hmm. the more I got that clarity, the easier it was for me to recognize the things that I would find purpose and meaning in. The point you made about stepping away from other people, I think is a really good one because I think sometimes I know I've felt this myself during my transitions. I start to try to be, I become very concerned with a lot of people's opinions of me. And it's important, as you mentioned, to just focus on who really matters and also remind yourself that actually the person you got to look in the mirror every day is actually you. You know, if you can be okay with it and if you can reconcile it for yourself, once you've convinced yourself, it becomes a lot easier. Okay, so you've taken some time to reflect on what you want. What happens next for you? So I finally left. Got the green light from mom and hubby, and I was uh-huh. feeling great about it. At that point, I did manage to save aside a little money, at least like three months worth of buffer to just not have to worry about that. And then I had a very old and close friend of mine who is now my co-founder. We'd reunited in New York, and then we were always sort of wanting to do something together, but never wanting to force it. At that time, Grace her father had passed away. And so that sort of coincided with me leaving my job. So we both sort of found ourselves at this very difficult, challenging crossroads. And even though our triggers were very, very different, we were asking ourselves very similar questions. You know, what is meaningful work for us? What is the vision we have for ourselves for the future? And because we were very close and always sharing with each other, we sat down one day and really tried to distill what was missing from the trajectories are options we perceived that we had. So we always joke about this and say that the options that you have when you're sort of stuck, there's two main ones, right? Generally, a lot of people will either go get an MBA um, (laughs) or continue their education, right? Or Uh get some kind of credential. Or you go on a yoga retreat, right? Because you just (laughs) want to try and get away from the noise (laughs) and and sort of reconnect with yourself. And and those are both great options. Um, Uh You know, I definitely don't want to undermine those. But I think what we realized was that we were looking for something more holistic. We were wanting something that allowed us to develop ourselves intellectually and spiritually and physically and physiologically. And that we felt didn't quite exist. And to distill it even further, you know, we were saying, well, what is it about that type of experience that would really allow us to move forward? And we narrowed it down to three main things. So one is that we needed the opportunity to learn and develop ourselves, whether that's learning a new skill or taking up a new hobby, but that ability to sort of advance ourselves personally or professionally. We were also seeking community. And by that, I mean, so it could be community in the sense of what you find in a co-working community, but it also can be just a group of peers who help to support you, who may mentor you, and who may give you very honest feedback and challenge you to do more and to be more. And the third thing was having a creative space and a learning space that 
allows you to reflect, allows you to learn, which is always a messy process, and allows you to kind of shut out the noise and shut out the distractions. And so with that sort of clarity, we decided to test whether this was something that other people in a similar situation would need. And so that culminated in a 21-day program that we ran in Bali. We had 17 people from all corners of the world sort of join us, and we really tested our assumptions and we shared worksheets and workbooks and workshops and excursions and activities that we felt would have really impacted us in a positive way. I don't know if you have this come up, but sometimes when I talk to people who are navigating change, either on these podcast interviews or elsewhere, I can't help but think about my own story and my own trajectory. Was there something that you learned about yourself during that time when you were pretty much immersed in this world of of trying to inspire change? One part of that experience that was really eye-opening and inspiring for myself was just realizing that entrepreneurship doesn't have to be about, you know, setting up a business that grows and scales quickly and gets investors. A lot of times the best businesses are built on a problem that we experience ourselves and feel that we can solve better or offer a non-existing solution to. I always say I kind of stumbled into entrepreneurship because what I was passionate about when we started the Change School wasn't running a business or being a business owner so much as it was that I knew people were going to go through change always in their lives. I mean, change is the only constant in this highly uncertain world we live in. And so it was amazing to discover that I had this genuine passion and ability to really encourage people to do more and inspire people to chase their dreams and to really take a less conventional path if that is where they saw themselves going and to be okay with it. The journey of the change school is also very much the journey of my own self. And it is this exploring and experimenting and realizing and discovering new things about yourself all along the way. I guess a few other things I noticed is that, you know, through that process, I really finally built much more confidence and courage in myself and my own abilities. Um, I always felt that I was very self-aware, but I didn't necessarily trust myself enough to take on a whole new venture until I did it and actually saw that, you know, things were moving and that people were appreciating what we were offering. And so that was a very empowering experience. And then this is something I have to remind myself of always is is learning to trust the process and know that you're not always going to know where something will lead. Not every idea you have is great and not every opportunity becomes something real. But I think being very clear about your why and your intentions and the motivations and impact you want to have allows you to just let go of the things that you can't control. And in a sense, have a little faith that serendipity and timing will eventually work into your favor. I know that I have this tendency of wanting to be a bit of a control freak with my destiny. And, <laughs> and uh, so I'm just here laughing as you're saying those things because I give myself plenty of headaches trying to just manage every individual thing. And I think you're, you're giving us a good reminder that you can't control everything. And at some point, you just have to try to reground yourself in your original motivations and hope that that will be 
the guiding light as you continue to move forward with whatever ideas you do have. So very interesting. You'd mentioned that you were not interested in entrepreneurship originally, and that you've now moved into this world of entrepreneurship. What's been the toughest part of being an entrepreneur or co-founder? Sometimes there is a danger for professionals who work in a corporate environment of falling into what I call autopilot mode, where there are so many structures and systems already set up and in place that very often we become doers but not always thinkers and not always problem solvers because so many corporations are structured in a way where we lose the bigger picture, I think. And that translates into the way we work and the way our levels of curiosity and our levels of being proactive about solving problems. And so I think at least for me personally, that was a big shift because once you're running your own company, I mean, there is no right or wrong. Everything is a test. Everything could fail or could succeed, no matter how much you plan and strategize around it. So developing that resilience is tough and it takes failure to develop resilience. You can't really just become resilient without experiencing hardship. And it is really needing to push yourself. I mean, people tend to think, oh, you're a business owner, you set your own hours. Actually, my greatest challenge is setting my own off hours because it's so easy to work through the day and through the night because the only person to answer to is yourself. Yeah, Setting boundaries has become a really big challenge and juggling priorities in life and work was a big challenge, is a constant challenge. And still being able to nurture relationships, whether it's business relationships, family relationships, and social relationships, and then most importantly, our relationship with ourselves. During those times when you are trying to balance everything, do you have any advice or do you have any tips or tools or techniques that you use to stay on track during those challenging times? For one thing, I think that word balance sometimes is tricky, right? Because the idea and the concept of balance, I think, is extremely subjective. What work-life balance looks like to one person could be completely different or even the complete opposite to another person. So I think what's more important and definitely at the change school, what we base everything on is, is really about personal values and really knowing what's important to you and then almost reverse engineering from there down to the nitty gritty in terms of how do you spend your time, how do you create boundaries, whether it's at home or in your social life or even how you set meetings during the week, right? And also recognizing that we have limited time in a day and we also don't have boundless energy. So tied to this is also that idea of of self-care and knowing what type of environment you need for focus work, what type of environment you might need to be more productive, what type of setting you need to not be working and to create those boundaries. And when you just need some downtime. And actually, we just ran an event last night or two nights ago around career change. And one challenge that a participant had shared was exactly that. You know, what happens if you're you're without a job and you're in between jobs and you just have a really bad day, you know, but I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but I'm not. And my response was simply, you know, we need to be a bit kinder to ourselves and we need to understand that some days are going to be, and that's with everything in life, right? And rather than forcing ourselves to do things or be productive or go to that social engagement. It's also being able to say no when you need to and allowing yourself that space 
to just step away from things and clear your mind and realign, recharge and start over tomorrow. When you look back on your career change, Thelonia, is there something that you wish you had known that you now know, having gone through these transitions? You know, it really is okay to take the road less traveled. And I think the onus comes back to us. And we have to really put in more of that self-work to understand who we are, what we believe in, and where we can add value in the world and dare to pursue those opportunities and follow that path, even despite naysayers, self-limiting beliefs, just acknowledging those things and either ignoring them or working around them. You know, you talked about a guiding light, right? Sort of letting the things we know of ourselves and know of the future we want in the world be the guiding light. And just know that, again, we can't control everything, but hard work, self-awareness and keeping your eye on the prize can go a very, very long way. And a lot of things, I think, will, will just fall into place as you go, provided that you are doing those things. I would love to hear a little bit more about the work you're doing, especially in the space of global citizenship. I just got done watching your TED Talk, which is really wonderful to watch, Stepping Up to Global Citizenship, which is a talk you gave with your co-founder, Grace, in 2016. And I was just curious if you could just wrap us up today by talking a little bit about how your multicultural background has had an impact on your career trajectory and, and how global citizenship has been at the core of the work that you're doing? So my background is that um, I'm half Taiwanese and half Ethiopian. I'll also mention that I have a half-sister who's Ethiopian-Lebanese and a half-brother who's full Ethiopian. And as I mentioned earlier, my husband who's Indian. And, And the reason I talk about that is because I think that experience, in a way, has allowed me to have a very natural openness to change and adaptation. Things weren't always smooth in my family in terms of overcoming cultural differences. And I think seeing that and understanding that on a very real and deeper level from a very young age has allowed me to have more compassion for the natural fear or resistance humans have towards the unknown. It's allowed me to understand why change can be so scary and why the familiar is always feels more safe. So having that insight and that compassion has allowed me to do my work better. And at the change school, you know, we always, if you go to our website and see our theory of change, we always talk about being a school that aims to empower and enable more global citizens. And while we have sort of shied away from using that term only because people have so many preconceptions of what a global citizen is or means. I think for us at the Change School, we simply define a global citizen as an individual who can connect the dots between the self-awareness piece to the world beyond them. So it's about personal mastery. It's about understanding our values and understanding how that translates into the work we do and understanding that each of us has a role to play in global society. You know, it's important to be self-aware, but it's also important to realize that the work we do should be much greater than ourselves. Great. Well, thank you so much, Salonia, for taking us through your career journey and explaining how you gained clarity along the way, the importance of getting the space to reflect, the importance of self-care and setting boundaries, and also just taking us through the importance of how much multiculturalism has played an impact 
on your own career. I know one of the things that you you talked about in your TEDx talk was the importance of continuous learning and practice and curiosity. So if people are curious about learning more about you or the Change School or the retreats that you guys organize, where can they go to learn more? My bio is up on the Change School website, which is just thechangeschool.com. If what I've shared resonates with anyone, I'd love for them to also just drop me a mail and, and connect. I'm at Salonia at thechangeschool.com. And our retreats, we've got a few coming up that are actually very suited for any sort of career shifters or relaunchers. We've got something on how to be fearless, which is about building confidence and courage. And we've got a self-care retreat about creating those habits that allow us to be our better selves. And all of that can be found on the Change School Facebook page. So if they just type in the Change School on Facebook, they should be able to find us. Fantastic, Sloney. Well, we will make sure that we capture all those links in the show notes and really appreciate you taking the time to share your personal journey. And I hope everything continues to go well for you there at the Change School and that people continue to get a ton of value out of your retreats. So thanks a lot. Oh, thanks so much. And thanks for having me. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Salonia's thoughts on gaining alignment from the people who matter most, her views on entrepreneurship, and the importance of setting boundaries between work and the rest of your life. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share my own thoughts on how I manage balance in my own life. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward in your own career. So for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to touch on one of the topics Salonia mentioned about the importance of self-care and allowing yourself to take a breather sometimes. And I figured I'd talk about this because I'm not very good at this myself. Anyone who knows me will probably tell you that I'm not the best person when it comes to being idle. And I remember many years ago when I graduated from college, one of my best friends, whose name is Hitesh, gave me a book called The Art of Doing Nothing. And he told me at the time that he gave me that book because he noticed I was always working on something and that I never really took any breaks. Now, jump ahead many years later, and I have to admit, I'm still not the best when it comes to taking breaks. And I think part of this is because I've seen that putting in a lot of hard work in my own life and giving that final push has made the difference between something working out and something not working out. So I've got this tendency built into me. And I find I do my best work during long stretches of time without interruption. Now, back in episode eight, you might recall me talking with my guest, Zai Devecha, about the concept of flow, where you kind of lose track of time and do your best work during these moments of peak performance. And when I'm in flow, which is something I feel often these days in my work, sometimes I'll work for hours without even moving from my desk. And finally, I tend not to take breaks because I think I really just enjoy my work and I find it very energizing. So I don't always feel like I need to take a break. Now, the problem with this approach is that you can burn out. Back in 2014, about a year into starting my own business, I was working so hard without even noticing it. And one day when I was in the kitchen and my wife and I were in the process of packing up our house for a big move, I literally fell over. Like I just fainted in the kitchen just for a couple seconds. And I think what I realized at that moment was that I was burned out. And I think it was just physical exhaustion from that year I'd spent trying to make sure that my business was taking off and gaining enough traction. And in that moment, what I decided was that I needed to prioritize taking care of myself. 
My father, who passed away several years ago, always used to tell me that health comes first because without your health, you have nothing. So since that moment, there are two things that I try to commit to doing in order to keep my life in balance. And this is just to give you a couple ideas of the ways that I try to keep my work in check. So first, I make a point to do some sort of exercise every single weekday. So for example, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I've got time blocked off in my calendar where I go swimming to get in some aerobic activity. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I try to go to the gym. And I keep these appointments with myself no matter what. No matter how busy I get, I'll make sure I do that exercise because I feel like it's an investment in my well-being. It also gives me a chance to clear my head and step away from my work, which can be very useful. Second, I really enjoy sitting down with a cup of coffee and just browsing through the day's news on a medium that ideally covers a lot of different topics like Flipboard. Now, I enjoy all sorts of news. I actually find it relaxing to read the news, but these days I got to stop myself from obsessing over political news because that doesn't exactly disengage my mind in the way that I want it to. But one way that I can fully check out is that I just read about the latest tech gadgets, for example. I'm kind of a gadget junkie and it has absolutely nothing to do with my work, but I like reading up about the latest tech gadgets or I'll hop on to things like TechCrunch or Gizmodo. I also love cooking, so I'll watch some Ming Tsai videos or Food Network cooking videos. Now, I'm telling you all this because I, of all people, am probably the last person to be giving advice on how to take breaks because I'm not very good at it myself. And for someone like me who prides himself on being able to work hard for many, many hours at a time, I have actually still found it to be productive to be unproductive at times. And I'm just here to remind you that if you're navigating a career change or trying to make a shift in your own professional life, that can be really intense and exhausting. So you just got to make sure you do whatever you need to in order to take care of yourself along the way. And this reminds me of a quote from Jim Rohn, take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. So my challenge to you is to do something every day that gives you a break from your work. What's one quick activity you could commit to doing on a regular basis that allows you to step away from your job, rejuvenate, reflect, and recharge? Now, if you have a way to take regular breaks from your work or invest in your own physical or mental health, I'd love to hear what works for you at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 16, where you can share your tips with the Career Relaunch community, ask me a question, and also find a recap of the key ideas and links mentioned today. While you're there, you can help support this podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes, which helps this show reach more people and grow our listener community. You can find the link to do that right there at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 16. Thanks so much for subscribing to Career Relaunch and a special thanks again today to Salonia Tedros for sharing her career story. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll see you next time.